right. Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Matt, and I'm one of the GenLink residents here at Citadel Square, as Addison just mentioned. I get to work with college students, and typically on a Sunday morning to come up here and preach, you either have to be named Steve or you have to be bald. <laughs> and thankfully, they made an exception for me this morning, so I'm super thankful for that, excited to be up here and getting to speak with you this morning. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving full of family and good food and football. And if you watched the Lions and the Bears game, I'm sorry, but I hope you still were able to enjoy your Thanksgiving time. I know there are many of you out there that I haven't had a chance to meet yet. And so let me just tell you real quick about myself right before we jump into our text for this morning. So uh, I've actually been married for a little over four years. My wife, Amanda, is the administrative assistant here at Citadel Square. And so it's awesome. We get to drive to work together every day. It's amazing. And actually, Thanksgiving for us was a special day because uh, this Thanksgiving was our fifth engagement anniversary. And so we've been engaged for five years, just over five years now. It's been incredible. Also, we're not originally from Charleston. Uh, the Air Force brought us here to Charleston several years ago. And, uh, and so I'm in the Air Force Reserves. I get to be on the bomb squad, so that's a lot of fun. And so every month I get to go out and get to mess with stuff like C4 and TNT and dynamite and blow stuff up. And so that's a ton of fun when I'm not up here talking to you guys. And then I also, just as I mentioned a minute ago, uh, for the past few years, I've had the privilege of getting to work with college students as a GenLink resident here at Citadel Square. And one thing that I've found as I've worked with college students is that bombs are more predictable. <laughs> but I love college students. I love hanging out with the students. I love getting to see how God is working in my own heart as I'm working with students, and it's awesome to get to see what God's been doing in them and what he's been doing on the campuses here in Charleston as a result of what he's doing in their lives, and so I'm thankful for that opportunity. All right, well, let's get going today. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible right in front of you. You can grab that. That is a gift that you can keep, so happy early Christmas. If you're using a pew Bible, turn to page 814. And we're going to be in a passage that is typically called the Transfiguration. So last week, if you were here, Steve Heron was finishing up the church series, and he was talking about how living the Christian life is living uh, as living sacrifices, as daily laying down our lives for the one who has laid down his life for us. And that's a theme, that theme of sacrifice and suffering is a theme that is going to intersect well with this chapter that we're gonna be in this morning. So I wanna, I wanna think about that idea of suffering and sacrifice for just a minute. Have you ever felt like the Christian life is hard? You ever found that following Jesus sometimes is just really hard? And I think living the Christian life is kind of connected in some ways, can be connected to the Christmas season. Uh, I love Christmas. How many of you guys would agree with me that Christmas is the best holiday out there? 
All right, yeah, most of you good. For the rest of you, we'll stick around. We'll have a bonus application for you at the end of the message. But Christmas is awesome. Decorations are awesome. It's a good time. And now you don't have to feel guilty listening to Christmas music now that Thanksgiving is over. But have you ever had a disappointing Christmas experience? Uh, for me, I have. Uh, this was several years ago. This was before, uh, before I knew Amanda. The Air Force was sending me away, away on a trip for a couple of months. And so I was going to be by myself on Christmas Day, and that, that was hard. But the bright spot was that I actually had a friend, one friend who was living in the city that they sent me to. And so I thought, oh, okay, this is great. I'll, I'll let him know. I'll, I'll call him, let him know I'm going to be by myself on Christmas, and, and maybe he'll invite me over. So I do, and he's like, man, this is going to be awesome. My family has all these traditions. We're going to be hanging out all day. This is going to be a good time. So I'm like, great. Don't have to spend Christmas in my hotel by myself. This is, this is good. So Christmas morning comes. I pull out my phone. I text him, hey, man, what time you want me to come over? And also, can you send me your address? And then I wait, and I wait, and a couple hours later, still waiting, and realized, you know what, I think I'm going to be spending Christmas here in my hotel room by myself. Uh, and you know, I didn't have any Christmas decorations, obviously wasn't prepared for that, but you know what I did have is I had some broccoli in my fridge. <laughs> so I pull out my head of broccoli that I have in my fridge, I set it down on my countertop, I got my broccoli Christmas tree sit down in my hotel room on my couch and watch Christmas movies by myself, by my broccoli Christmas tree on Christmas. And you know, you hear all these Christmas songs, you watch the Hallmark Christmas movies that say, man, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. Christmas is magical. It's just this amazing time. But you know, for me, that Christmas was just the opposite. It was miserable. It was lonely. Have you ever felt that way? about your Christian life. Maybe you've heard, you've heard people talk about spiritual experiences that they've had as a Christian. And you know, the central message of Christianity, the gospel, is a message of hope and forgiveness and love and relationship. But instead of hope, have you ever gotten to the point where you feel hopeless? You feel discouraged? You wonder if God is in control of the circumstances of your life? Instead of forgiven, have you ever felt guilty? Have you ever felt overcome by shame? Instead of loved, have you ever been mistreated by somebody? Instead of basking in this, this heavenly relationship with God, have you ever felt lonely and isolated as a Christian? What do you do with that? And the thing that I love about this chapter that we're going to be in this morning is that Jesus doesn't ignore pain and suffering as a Christian. But actually, twice in this chapter, in Luke 9, he talks specifically about it. And he actually says, if you look down at verse 23, Jesus says that if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. Living the Christian life, following Jesus requires daily death, daily pain, daily struggling. And a few paragraphs later, if you look all the way down to verse 57, there's three guys that come to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, we want to follow you. And what's Jesus' response to them? No, you don't. It's going to be harder than you think it's going to be to follow me. 
But you know, sandwiched between verse number 23 and verse number 57 is the transfiguration that we're going to look at this morning. And through this passage, through this transfiguration passage, what we're going to see is Luke is going to answer this question for us. What do we do when Jesus calls us to take our cross, bear bear our cross daily and follow him into suffering? So let me pray for us and we'll jump into this text. God, I thank you so much for this day that you've given us to be able to gather together to look at your word. I thank you for this transfiguration passage. And as we look at it, I ask that you would help us to be focused. I pray that you would empower my words, that they would be your words, and that we would walk away from this text being challenged, being encouraged, even as you call us to take up our cross daily and to follow you. So I pray that your spirit would be powerfully working. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, one thing I want to point out real quick before we look at this text is that Matthew and Mark, the two books before Luke, both of them have a transfiguration account. But the thing that makes Luke's transfiguration account unique is that throughout this passage, we're going to see Luke giving us these Old Testament echoes or these things where the Old Testament is giving us a picture of what the future is going to look like. And Luke is giving us these things to help lead us to an application that we're going to land on at the end of our time. So I want us to see five Old Testament echoes as we walk through this text. All right, so let's dive in. Look at verse number 28 with me. Now about eight days after these sayings, all right, remember, Jesus has just been talking about, hey, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross. You're going to be suffering. It's going to be hard. So Jesus has just been talking about the difficulty of following him. After these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went on the mountain, up on the mountain, to pray. Now, Jesus doesn't take all his disciples with him. He just takes Peter and James and John, his inner circle. And if you read through the book of Luke, you realize that there's only one other time that actually Jesus calls these three to go with him by himself in this book, and it's the chapter before. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus brings his inner circle with him as he goes to perform a miracle of raising this girl from the dead. So now here in chapter nine, Jesus says, all right, you three, come on, we're going on a hike. And imagine the disciples, man, last time we got to see somebody come back to life from the dead. What is Jesus going to do this time? And let me, let me pause here for a second and just point something out. Do you notice as you read through the story of Jesus, how Jesus constantly is bringing his disciples with him. He constantly is spending time with his disciples. And here at Citadel Square, we have a core value called intentional development, or another way you could say this is discipleship. And if you wonder what discipleship means or what discipleship looks like, Jesus shows it to us right here. He constantly has his disciples with him. And now he takes his disciples up on this mountain with him to pray. Look at verse 29. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. All right, so here, Matthew and Mark both say 
when they're describing Jesus' appearance, they say Jesus was transfigured. And then Matthew adds, Jesus' face shone like the sun. And so that's where the title Mount of Transfiguration comes from, is Matthew and Mark calling it the transfiguration. And that word transfiguration is a fancy way of saying, tra uh, transfiguration is a fancy way of saying transformation. And so right here on this mountain, Jesus is transforming into something, uh, you're, you're seeing something about Jesus that's been hidden before this, this text. But it's interesting, Luke describes this differently. He says that Jesus' appearance was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. Dazzling white. It's interesting here, the Greek word for dazzling is exostropto. And literally, in Greek, that means flashing or gleaming like lightning. So this is Luke's first Old Testament echo. Can you think of anywhere else in the Bible, on a mountaintop, where there's flashing lightning? Mount Sinai, right? That's a spot in the Old Testament where we think of God coming down. Okay, if you know the story of Mount Sinai, Israel has, God has just led Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery to Egypt, and he's brought them to Mount Sinai to meet with them and to make a covenant with them. And this is what it says in the book of Exodus about this experience in Exodus 19.16. It says this, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. So just as there was lightning on Mount Sinai at this, at, this, at this historical foundational moment in Israel's history, now here Luke is connecting that to Jesus' experience here on the Mount of Transfiguration. Look at verse 30 with me. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, so not only is Jesus up here flashing like lightning, like Mount Sinai, but now we have this second Old Testament echo. Moses and Elijah are here. Now that's kind of weird. Why are Moses and Elijah here? Why not, you know, David or Daniel? Why, why is anybody here with Jesus? Well, let's think about Moses for a second. Okay, we just made this connection to Moses in the last verse because Moses was the one that got to meet with God up on Mount Sinai. Does anybody know what books of the Bible Moses wrote? Anybody? Perfect. Yeah, first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So you could say, you know, Moses is a pretty important guy in the Old Testament, right? Actually, he's so important that the religious leaders in Jesus' day, they would use Moses constantly against Jesus to try to discredit him. So what about, what about Elijah? Who is Elijah? Well, just like Moses, Elijah had an experience with God on a mountain, Mount Horeb, a.k.a. Mount Sinai. If you know the story of Elijah, Elijah never died, but God took him up to heaven. And the Jews in Jesus' day believed that actually Elijah was going to come back as the last of the prophets. He was going to come back and he was going to be the one that was going to usher in the end when God's kingdom was going to come. And so that's why if you read earlier on in this chapter, Herod is thinking about who is Jesus? Who is this guy? Who are the people saying he is? And then Jesus asks the disciple, who do people say that I am? And twice in this chapter, they say, well, some people think that you're Elijah. 
They think you're the last of the prophets who's going to come and bring God's kingdom. So here we have Moses and Elijah, these two foundational guys representing the entire Old Testament from beginning to the end. And they're here talking with Jesus. Let's see what they're talking about. Look again at verse 30, it says, and behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, verse 31, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. So again, here, Luke is the only one of Matthew, Mark, and Luke that gives us this picture into what Moses and Elijah are talking to Jesus about. And this is what it says they're talking to him about, his departure. Again, the interesting thing about this word is it's the Greek word exodus. This is the third Old Testament echo that Luke gives us. What, what is the Exodus in the Old Testament? Okay, it's the second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. And you read the book and you see that it's when, when Moses led the people of Israel out of slavery to Egypt and he led them to the promised land that God had promised to them. It was during the Exodus out of Egypt that the Sinai experience, Mount Sinai, happened. And it's crazy, this event is so important, this exodus is so important that the Old Testament continues talking about the exodus, not just in the book of Exodus, but throughout the Old Testament. And not only does it look back in remembrance on the exodus of God bringing Israel out, but it looks forward to a time where, as the prophet Isaiah said, God was going to do something new, and he was going to bring about a new exodus, So here are these two men talking to Jesus about this this exodus that he's going to to go on. What, What are they talking about? Look at the second half of the verse. It says this, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So the exodus that Jesus is about to accomplish isn't just this exodus like Israel's exodus that is, a, is an exodus out of this physical slavery, but the exodus that Jesus is about to perform is an exodus out of sin and death itself, and it's an exodus that he's about to accomplish in Jerusalem. What, what significant thing happened in Jerusalem? His death and his resurrection. And in Jerusalem, Jesus is pulling people out of slavery to sin and death and into eternal life with God himself. This is the new exodus that Moses and Elijah are talking to Jesus about. So, so imagine this scene with me. You go up on this mountain. Jesus is just flashing like lightning. The, the, you're seeing this side of Jesus that you haven't seen up to this point in the Gospels. These two guys, Moses and Elijah, the foundation of the Old Testament, are talking to him, the one the entire Old Testament is pointing towards. They're talking about his exodus, the thing that the Old Testament keeps pointing towards. This is, this is a crazy experience right here that's going on at this mountain. Now, don't look ahead. What do you think the disciples are doing right now? Look at verse 32 with me. Now, Peter... And those who were with him were heavy with sleep. Wait, hold on, what? (laughs) They were heavy with sleep. This crazy, life-changing event is happening right in front of them. And they're sleeping. 
Anybody know somebody who can just sleep through anything? Dad, looking at you. <laughs> also me. If I was sitting by Amanda, she'd be nudging me right now. You know, I could be watching the greatest movie of all time. Uh, we have Family Sunday, so I think a lot of the kids are in here. One of my favorite movies is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Incredible movie. The first 30 minutes were awesome. But you know, even this incredible movie, I'm, I'm out. I, I'm not going to make it through it. And that's what's going on with the disciples here. This life-altering moment is happening right in front of them. And they're sleeping. Crazy. Look at the rest of the verse. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Verse 33. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. So the disciples have just woken up. Peter sees Moses and Elijah. They're getting ready to head out. And so what does Peter do? What he typically does, Peter starts monologuing. And you know, people don't really know exactly why. You know, some commentators think, well, maybe he just wanted to set up a monument to remember this moment. Maybe he's wanting to make this moment last longer so that they can stay in the tents and hang out for a while and enjoy what's going on. You know, we don't really know. But what we do know is that Peter is just overwhelmed with the two other disciples in this moment. He's overwhelmed and he can't comprehend, he can't interpret the significance of this situation of what's going on right in front of his eyes. Look at verse 34. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Now, Luke isn't telling us that the disciples have uh, nephophobia, which is a fear of clouds, okay? It's a real thing. But Luke is trying to tell us something more than that. And this is Luke's fourth Old Testament echo that he's giving to us. Throughout the Old Testament, if you've read the Old Testament, you know God's presence is manifested oftentimes in a cloud of his glory and his holiness. And you especially see this during the book of Exodus when the children of Israel are wandering through the wilderness. And this cloud of God's presence is so full of his holiness and his glory that to enter into this cloud would just be consuming. It would be too much to, comp uh, to, to handle and, and you couldn't experience it and live. And so that's why in Exodus 40, when God, the cloud of God's presence comes and settles on the tabernacle in the wilderness, not even Moses himself, the leader of Israel, the one who's had conversations with God, not even Moses can go in to this cloud of God's presence. So imagine being the disciples right now in this moment. You're on the mountain. Jesus is flashing like lightning. Moses and Elijah are here. And now all of a sudden you see this cloud and you're thinking, oh wait, I've read this before. This cloud is coming over you. And what is the disciples' response? They're scared to death. They're scared out of their minds. And it makes sense, right? It totally makes sense. Nobody can be in the cloud of God's presence and, and not be consumed. But the interesting thing about this situation is that they're not consumed. Why is that? Because Jesus is with them 
in the cloud. And you know, it's the same way for you and I. The only way that we have hope to not be consumed to be in God's presence, the only way that we can hope to be in right relationship with God is to be with Jesus, to put faith in Jesus. He's the only one that can bring us into right standing with God. Jesus said this in the book of John. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the cloud settles over the disciples, over Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And look at what it says in verse 35. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, all right, pause right here. Up to this point, we've seen Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. We've seen Peter doing his thing. He's talking. But now in this passage, God the Father himself speaks. And let's see what he says. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. So once again, Luke gives us some information that the other two, Matthew, Mark, don't give us. Luke is the only one that mentions that the voice says the second part, my chosen one. Why is this significant? What Luke is saying, what the voice, what God the Father himself is saying is that Jesus isn't just this great teacher. Jesus isn't just the great prophet, not the last of the prophets. No, Jesus is God's son who has come to us. He is God's chosen one that Mount Sinai is pointing towards. He's the one that Elijah is ushering in. He's the one that Moses talked about in Deuteronomy 18, 15, when, when he said this, listen to these words. He says, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. So for thousands of years, God was working through history and he was writing in his scriptures to point forward to someone who is going to come and rescue people from death and sin. And now the disciples get to be here on this mountain and they hear God the Father himself saying, here he is, this is my chosen one. And here we see at the end of the verse, the fifth Old Testament echo, God the Father repeating the words of Moses that I just read in Deuteronomy 18.15, God says what? Listen to him. This is the only command that we hear in this passage, and it's the only command that we hear from God the Father in this entire book of Luke. So it's significant that he says this one thing, listen to Jesus. Look at verse 36 with me. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. When the cloud lifts, Moses and Elijah are gone. And Jesus is the only one standing here. He's the focus of this text. So that's the transfiguration. What are we, what are we supposed to do with this? We just read about Peter and James and John having this incredible experience on this mountain. And you know, if you read the rest of this chapter, Luke chapter 9, you see 
that this isn't the only moment on this mountain that the disciples have of experiencing Jesus' glory and seeing who he is and hearing about what he's about to accomplish. Let me show you. Look back at verse number 20, Luke 9, verse 20. Jesus asks the disciples who they think he is, and Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ of God, or another way he could have said it is, the chosen one of God. You know, Jesus confirms it. Then look down at verse number 22, just a couple verses later. Jesus talks to his disciples about what he's about to accomplish. And this is what he says. He says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So Jesus just told his disciples what he's about to accomplish. And then the transfiguration, they get a double whammy. They get to see what, who Jesus is. They get to hear that he is the chosen one. Again, not just Peter saying it this time, but God himself saying it. And then they get to hear about what Jesus is going to accomplish. And just in case it didn't sink in these first couple of times, look down in verse 44. Jesus tells them again, just in case they missed it. He says, let these words sink into your ears. So that probably means it's important. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. So after all these once in a lifetime experiences, man, think about that. Think about if you got to be there on the mountain, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Think if you got to be there as Jesus himself is standing there right next to you and telling you about what he's going to accomplish and, what, and who he is. And Peter and James and John, they have all these experiences. And so they're good to go for life, right? They're never gonna doubt this stuff. They're never gonna question this stuff. They're good to go. Turn with me to Luke 24 and we'll see if they are good to go. Spoiler alert, <clears throat> probably not. We'll finish here in Luke 24. <clears throat> and this is right after Jesus has just died and he's risen again. But all that the disciples know up to this point is what Jesus has said to them and then he's died. They haven't seen him yet after he's risen again. So they, they just think he's dead. And here Jesus is in Luke 24 and there's these two disciples that are talking about the things that have just happened in Jesus' death. And they're taking a road trip to a nearby town outside of Jerusalem. And so Jesus, Jesus comes across their path and he asks them what they're talking about. So look in verse 18 at their response to Jesus. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, and this is representative of what all the disciples are thinking up, at, up to this point. He says, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in Jerusalem in these days? And, and he said to them, Jesus said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he was the chosen one. Yes, and besides all this, 
It's now the third day since these things have happened. So here are the disciples. They had these incredible experiences of Jesus' transfiguration, of him telling them his plan, of, of hearing Peter himself confess that Jesus is the Christ, of hearing God the Father confess that he is the chosen one. But now even Peter, James, and John, when they face this death, even they stop listening to Jesus. You know, they, they're thinking, man, we thought he was the chosen one, but I guess not. And aren't you and I just like that? You know, how many of us have seen God answer incredible prayers in our lives? How many of us have had these experiences where you say, man, I look back and I see how God was at work in that moment, in that person, in that time in my life. But when discouragement comes, when disappointment comes, when failure comes, when death comes, we think, Jesus, are you the only visitor here that doesn't know what's going on in my life? I thought you were the one that's supposed to deliver. I thought you were the one that's supposed to save. I thought you are the one that has power. Thought you're the one that's in control of all things. But I guess not. What is Jesus' response to the disciples in this situation, in this moment? Look down with me at verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets, all right, if you, if you circle in your Bible, circle that phrase, all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, circle that word, just seen that a couple times, right? And all the prophets, circle that, all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, circle that, all the scriptures. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So what did Jesus do as the disciples are doubting and discouraged and despairing and lost of, from hope? What does Jesus do? He points them to the scriptures because all the scriptures point to him. And Luke's given us a glimpse of that this morning here in Luke chapter 9. As we've seen these connections between the Old Testament and how it points forward to what Jesus has done, what he's doing. And if, if you're sitting here and you've been like the disciples and you've been asleep and you've just woken up right now, this is, this is the point that I want us to get, that I want us to take away from this time in the transfiguration. That what we need in times when we're facing the pain and the difficulties of following Jesus, of bearing our cross, what we need in those times are to go to the scriptures and listen to Jesus. And, you know, for myself, uh, this has been especially key for me over the last several weeks uh, as I've been personally just struggling with this fear of the unknown. 
And at times, there's times where I just have felt over the last several weeks, my heart just pounding out of my chest of just fearing what's to come and I don't have control and I don't know what to do. I don't know what's gonna happen. And as I've been studying this passage out the last several weeks, what has been so helpful and so encouraging is this constant reminder to listen to Jesus. Listen to these words and what he's done and what he is doing. And no matter what you're facing this morning, that's what you need to to go to the word and listen to Jesus. So if you're struggling with guilt this morning, or if you're struggling with fear, you're struggling with pain or discouragement or loneliness or whatever it is that you're struggling with this morning, don't let these things, don't let your fear, don't let your feelings, don't let your circumstances or your temptations be the only thing that you're listening to but go to Jesus' words from the very beginning all the way to the end that point to Jesus. Go to Jesus' words and listen to him as he offers forgiveness and truth and love and hope and continue to go back to his words. Continue to listen to him. He has the words of eternal life to offer us because of what he's accomplished for us in Jerusalem. And you know, I also want to encourage us this morning, don't just, don't just say like, man, I have this one or two verses that I really love that are really encouraging. You know, they kind of pick me up and point me in the right direction. That's, that's awesome. Use, <laughs> go to those encouraging verses. But don't, don't just stick with that. Take God's word and go from the very beginning with Moses and go all the way to the end to the, to the prophets, all the prophets. Go to the New Testament and get to know all of it from beginning to end, because the greater grasp that you have on the scriptures as a whole, the more clearly they'll point you forward to Jesus as we listen to him. So if you're struggling, go to God's word and listen to Jesus. But you know, also, if you're on a mountaintop experience right now and you say, man, I'm, I'm following Jesus and I'm not feeling the pain right now, this is, this is awesome, that's exciting. And, but think about Peter, you know, he was on the mountaintop experience, and what did he need in that time? He still needed to listen to Jesus. And so for those of you that say, man, I'm in, a, I'm in an exciting spot in life right now where I'm getting to see God's glory in front of me. I'm getting to see how he's working. I want to encourage you to continue to go to God's word. And just as Jesus pointed his disciples to the scriptures, we need one another to point each other to God's word and help each other listen to the scriptures. This is, this is why we gather together. This is why we get to sing together and we get to, to praise the one who set us free. I love that song. We get to do that together to help each other to, to hear the scriptures and to listen to Jesus together. We get to hear someone speak the word so that we can listen to Jesus together. And this is why life-on-life life discipleship is so important. We need to be spending time with one another, not just sitting on a Sunday morning, but throughout the week. Spend time with one another. Spend time reminding one another of God's word and help one another listen to Jesus. You know, 
one of the things that I'm most excited about is that Jesus' new exodus that he's leading is someday going to, to end in a new creation, a new heaven, and a new earth. And we have this hope to look forward to no matter what we're facing this morning. That someday the struggles of following Jesus are going to be over. And we're going to, to enjoy this new creation with him in his presence. But until that day comes, as you take up your cross daily and follow Jesus into suffering, go to God's word and listen to him. Let me pray. God, I thank you so much for your word that you have given to us, that you've given to us the words of eternal life, and that you've given to us this incredible story that points from beginning to end to Jesus, to the fact that he is the son of God, that he is the chosen one. And as, God, you know we struggle so many times. Even this morning, I was struggling to listen to Jesus. I pray that you would empower us by your spirit that you would help us to love one another, to spend time with one another, to point one another to the scriptures. And that maybe if there's anybody that's sitting here who says, man, I've never decided to follow Jesus. I've never listened to Jesus once. That they would desire to be in right standing with you and that they would realize that the only way that they can know you and not be consumed by you is by faith in Jesus. So God, I thank you for your word. I ask that you would use it to penetrate into our hearts so that we would listen to Jesus. And it's in his name that I pray, amen.